Hello. Hello. I am Alex. I'm Val. And we're here to talk about a pretty major episode. Yeah. The test stream. A pretty hard one to very... talk about. <laughs> wow. There's a lot going on. Yeah. And we have to be honest. This is the first time our In at the End format has changed because last night we watched this episode. And we were going to record this podcast we were right record after. record right after. But it was just too much. Also, we were really tired. Also, we were really tired. Our classic in at the end season five technique seems to be leaving things to the last minute because we have a lot of things going on right now. And then last night we watched this episode. And it was and like we going to record. Yeah. And then it was just too much. It was, uh, yeah, it was just, there's so much going on in this episode, we felt like we couldn't do it justice. So... We woke up, we kind of reviewed the episode, and now we're here for real. So, full disclosure. It's the first the time. End, it's the first format time. has changed for this episode, but it's basically the same. <laughs> it's just separated by it's just sleeping. It's just the morning time now. Yeah, that's all, which is different. So, test stream. Definitely a pretty radical departure from the kind of feel an approach to having episodes in this show, expanding on the dream format in a similar way to Funhouse from the second season, something we haven't seen. Yeah, but even Funhouse like was broken up by reality. Yeah. Right? It was like many different dreams. Yeah, so in this episode, it's essentially, I guess, a 20-minute or so sequence that's just happening all at once, and we're just kind of hopping around from, from scene to scene. And... The thing that's interesting about this episode for me is that as we're in the aspects, the the parts of this episode that are actually in reality, there is this kind of dreamlike, surreal atmosphere mm -hmm. that's portrayed. And um, I think that we get that just in a lot of different ways. I mean, even the very first scene that we have at Valentina's, one could imagine that perhaps it is a dream. When she sets herself sure. on fire. Well, there's like, she has like a weird apartment with these weird curtains behind her bed. We have the William Wegler dog portrait on the wall, which yeah. has been referenced before in Camelot. Yep. In, in Camelot. Um, and the relationship that that has for Tony and his subconscious to his dad giving away the dog to Fran. Yeah. But there's kind of like weird imagery. But then we also have... Space the the smoke detector right mm -hmm. which like kind of reminds me of a dream i don't i don't know and this maybe just is me but like it's one of, like when your alarm clock kind of like gets into your head in your dream and mm -hmm. you hear like you're hearing your alarm clock but it's the sound of something else it did kind of have this mm. like waking mm. like it sounded like it was like something to like wake you up i don't right. know that was that's just me that happens to me all the time where i'm like yeah oh that's a funny sound to happen yeah. but it's like actually just my alarm clock well, in that way, I think that everything kind of feeds into itself in this episode. The aspects of reality are feeding into the dream through kind of getting into Tony's subconscious and then manifesting himself in his dreams in funny ways. And also in the same way, the dreams are kind of impacting reality in this kind of fantasy-like way, in the way everything's portrayed. Actually, a lot of the directing decisions, uh, like a lot of the shots um, kind of reflect surreality or some surrealism mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of wide angles there's a lot of strange focuses on things that yeah, actually that, repeat themselves in the dream sometimes yeah that downward angle of people sitting like being shot from kind of like their knee level and mm. seeing them sitting like tony when he's at tony b's house yeah um the hallway like the hallways of the park plaza it's almost like yeah. It's almost like Tony's kind of, kind of like follows. floating floating through the space in yeah. some ways too. Yeah. Definitely. There's a lot yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of examples. Melfi at the plaza showing up, that kind of right. seems like a dream. It's like we don't even touch on that, but it makes us question like, is this real? Because it's so strange that she would be there and we don't deal with it. Yeah. Is that popping up as a part of Tony's subconscious? In fact, that's it, the only time we be. actually see Melfi in this episode. Yeah. Uh, there's there's just there's so many things even then like when Tony goes into his room the shot of the shower head we see the water coming out of the shower head of course that's reflected in coach Molinaro's space as he's walking to the underground of the school at the end we have a similar shot on water dripping from a shower head we have a lot of symbols that are showing up in reality and in the dream we have when Tony Soprano is at Tony Blundetto's house there's a row of animals on behind the ledge, him yeah on the ledge behind him 
There's there's just um, yeah. the other one that like tra- like goes between reality and and the dream is the phones and that beeping that beeping light on the phone. Yeah. Um, like when he's actually you know ostensibly in real life, um, he um, makes that call to um, Charmaine. Um, he sees the ad for the escort agency, right? Then he goes outside and he goes to steal his neighbor's newspaper. And he comes back in and there's been this call that's just happened that he's missed. And that's like a str- like a strange time. Con- like it's very strange mm-hmm. that that would have happened. The call from um, who called him? Um, was it Polly who called him to tell him? Sil. It was Sil who called him mm-hmm. to tell him. Um, and but like that, that he would have like just missed that call by a second, and then we see that phone when he you know in the dream when he wakes up and Carmine's there, um, it shows up a number of times in the dream yeah. as well. Even in that scene when he's in the park plaza and eating, they have some kind of like fade edits that show that yep. time is passing as he goes through eating his meal. Time is passing, but we're not witnessing everything. So that happens in multiple different ways in the episode where we don't witness aspects of time as it passes and things actually happen during that time, yeah. which is really interesting. There's also an aspect of, for me, realism in the dreams sometimes mm-hmm. and fantasy dreamlike sequences in reality mm-hmm. that make it confusing to know where you are. Things like when Phil Leotardo is shot and he's asking when he can get up. It's actually like hyper-realism in a way because we're almost dealing with the shooting of this show, like the fictional... Mm-hmm nature of of what's happening that kind of is clearly a dream but at the same point is not realistic in the way that he dies also i mean i guess tony blundetto does shoot him with his hand right uh afterwards for the killing blow but there's just some strange things that are kind of playing into the two kind of realms that exist within this episode and they kind of feed off of each other well it's like there's like multiple realms right there's not just two there's like the quote-unquote reality of Sopranos world, but that exists within the reality of our world, right? And then there's also this dream world within right. Sopranos. So there's, yeah. like, there's multiple levels going on there. Mm-hmm. On that note, this kind of aspect of fantasy was kind of playing in for a couple different ways for me because in reality, I feel that Tony is kind of living in a fantasy sometimes. He's engaging with things to distract himself from... The problem at hand that he needs to deal with Tony right. Bungo. He's like kind of, he's fantasizing about being with Charmaine Bucco. Which is clearly preposterous. I mean, yeah. if there's one person that we know in the show who can't stand Tony and would never be a match for him and would never stand up stand yeah. for his bullshit, it's her. Yeah. And yeah, Tony's living in this fantasy where he thinks that he can it just could, have her. He's, he says even like, it almost worked out with us or something like that. Right. Yeah. Right. No, totally. The Jade escorts for me, the fact that he's... It's interesting. Like, I was trying to take note of Tony in his dreams. Um, there was a scene that, when we went back and looked at it, it was, it was interesting. But, like, after Phil Leotardo's killed, like, when he sees kind of, like, a mob of people, they're overwhelmingly white for me. And, I mean, th- there are people of color, but when Tony is going through reality, I was thinking about, like, how he interacts with people and what his world is. He deals with a pretty ethnically kind of homogenous homogenous group of people. This Italian American immigrant kind of group, and throughout the episode, in the reality, I, when he did deal with people of color, it was it was fairly consistent in that they were kind of working in in jobs that kind of like served him. Like mm-hmm. there was. Charisse, who was the concierge, the concierge right. at the Park Plaza. There was Jesus also at the Park Plaza. There was the Guatemalan who he's complaining about. And then he's drawn to the Jade Escorts, mm-hmm. which was interesting for me because as Tony engages in fantasy, I feel like he was drawn to something out of his normal realm. And the fact that he's drawn to Jade Escorts with, with a race that he kind of never really deals with and that he would be drawn to that. I don't know. There's something about him escaping his space, going to New York, yeah. going to the Park Plaza, kind of getting away from everything. I feel that he's kind of diverting his attention from what he needs to do, and he's kind of going into, he's exploring kind of, I don't know, other areas or something. Yeah. Well, Tony, like, Tony never goes that far. I mean, I guess we saw him go to Miami, 
right? Right. But like in this in the episode, like at the very beginning of the episode, Valentina is asking him to go to Antigua to go to sandals or sneakers, as Tony <laughs> calls it. Um, and we know that that's something that he would never do. He's never like, and she's complaining. She's like, "We, don't, I don't see enough of you. Yeah, and you're getting, I, I see you less than ever, and you're getting a divorce. Yeah, and we know that he would never like, he just would never do that. We don't see Tony, like, taking an airplane to no. Antigua, but he does do this escape, and he goes to a place that he knows, right? Like we've seen him at the Park Plaza before. We know that Meadow and Carmela mm-hmm. go to the Park Plaza for their Eloise tea. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, like, you we're dealing with all these New York guys right now, right? Like, it's in kind of their realm. But that's kind of, a, like, that is, like, a far fantasy for Tony to be living that life, right? He's, like, escaping that his, he, his mom's house is driving him crazy and whatever. And so he, like, moves to the Park Plaza. Yeah. Which is also very, like, fantastical in some way. Like, what, you're going to live at, like, you're Eloise now, Tony? Right. Like, <laughs> you're, like, you live at the Park Plaza. You brought these pictures of Meadow and AJ. Yeah. And you now live at the Park Plaza under a fake name. That's very fantastical. It is. And I feel like there's there's a lack of taking responsibility for what he's even doing. Like, when he arrives there and the valet parking guy asks him short or long-term parking, he says, can't you just park it? Like, he doesn't want to make that decision. Yeah. There's, a, there's an aspect of it that just doesn't even make any sense. Yeah. I mean, financially, it seems very irresponsible. Yeah, I don't even know what that would cost tonight. A lot. He's yeah. paying in cash. Um, but yeah, that actually is interesting, like, that relationship to Eloise, because... Um, at the end of, we're kind of, I mean, this is really hard not to jump around all over the place. We'll try to be organized, but, but at the end of the episode, when he's with coach Molinero, he says, um, I'm not a kid anymore. Mm-hmm. And the coach is like, oh yeah. Or like, I forget like exactly. He's like, Are, or like you're, no, not. you're not. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he kind of says it in this sarcastic way. And I think like I think there's it multiple is, ways to interpret that statement. Yeah, I know. But one of the ways I interpret it is like that Tony like Tony is stunted. Like mm. he is being childish. He's running away from his problems. Right. Um and the problems that he's running away from stem really deep from his his like from his time in high school and from his time seventeen years ago when he didn't show up, you know, for this thing with Tony B. Right. Um he's kind of stuck in those yeah. time periods and hasn't dealt with those things. And I think that's like, we'll talk more about the coach element of the yeah. of the dream for sure. But I think like that's a big part of this for him is like, yeah, like being stuck. Yeah, no, absolutely. And Eloise had a pet turtle, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep, All right, yeah, we talked about this. What a yep. strange existence. <laughs> yeah, but that's like, but it's, but like, that's, like, it's the same hotel. It's the hotel where they go to have Zeloise tea. Like, yeah. there is a relationship there. Yeah. Nope, totally. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I think throughout the episode, we just have so much connective tissue from the entire series. Like, we have symbols that we've been talking about for this entire podcast that are showing up all over the place, are clearly nestled in Tony's subconscious, and are informing kind of the direction of the dream it's a harder one to do a podcast about an analysis and i think that's kind of what we were feeling last night because there's so much that's fed to us and the ironic thing is as they make the most of the symbols that they've been developing for an entire show i don't know if you can dissect everything i think part of it is just a manifestation of tony's subconscious well, I think it's also David Chase playing with us because there is yeah. such a, like, at least for us, but, I, you know, for a lot of people, there's this drive to be like, this symbol means this and this yeah. symbol means that. And he's always played with that with us. And then, but, like, also playing with the fact, like, there are some things that you just can't analyze that way. That yeah. there's some things that are beyond And it is kind of dream beyond logic. Explanation. Like, yeah. it's, it's beyond that. Yeah. It has some very David Lynch-like moments. Yeah, the, the like... Movies within the... Yeah, the very lost highway. Yeah. Um, So maybe do you want to just... Do you want to talk about the real life stuff briefly first? And then we can kind of dive into the dream stuff. I mean, we touched on some of it already. um, But like just kind of like the main plot point in this... For this episode, right? Which like in in Funhouse, um, 
And like in Calling All Cars, we have things revealed to Tony through dreams, yes. right? So it is, I mean, it's kind of amazing, really, that he is in some ways very in touch with his subconscious, that he like trusts his subconscious so much to like yeah. tell him these messages, right? right? Um, so in some ways it's really cool. But the main plot point of, of this episode is that um, Angelo was killed by the Leotardo brothers. Mm-hmm. We also have big questions about how those two guys are brothers. Right. That's, that's, the, <laughs> that's the big mystery. That is. Like, I think that think is un- unsolvable. I feel like it's at least like 40 years. <laughs> so I really don't I really don't know how those guys are brothers. 35. But... I mean, that's not a thing that can happen. I mean. I know. This is the most unexplainable thing about this episode. It's I the think. great mystery of The Sopranos. Yeah. Anyways, the Leotardo brothers um, <laughs> kill Angelo, who, you know, is was the consigliere for... Carmine at one point was in jail with Tony Blundetto, is now also out with all these other people and is, you know, with Rusty and little Carmine and his group yeah. of the New York mob. Um, and we have that happen after he comes to see Tony Blundetto at his new casino thing. Yeah. We quite... find out the closeness of those two, Tony Blundetto saying he was his old man, his, his rabbi, rabbi, and his, his priest, priest all in one. Yeah, and we even have Polly later saying something along those lines too, like yeah. about how close, you know, how close they were yeah. in the can. Yeah. Um and so this death like we know that this death would really impact Tony Blundetto. We know that this is also in retaliation for the killing of Joey Peeps, right? Mm-hmm. So it's in some ways directly related to Tony Blundetto in this other way. Right. Um that like this is something that would really impact him, but is also retaliatory yeah. against the group that kind of planned that hit. Yeah. Um, and so then we have this really, you know, this really strange scene where Tony goes over to Tony Blundetto's house with the enchiladas, <laughs> and he's acting really shifty. And Tony's very self-centered in a lot of it. Like he's talking about this issue with Valentina, and he's like, "Why do things always happen to me?" and it's um, funny, though, like, the first time we were watching it, I felt that, like, Tony was maybe overanalyzing it. I mean, he was just kind of preoccupied with the toys and stuff. Yeah. Like, it's hard. I mean, there's ambiguity there. It yeah. was interesting, though, on the second viewing of that scene, it's interesting because when Tony gets there, the way Steve Buscemi acts it, he looks very kind of perplexed and concerned as soon as he sees Tony in a way that reflects that he has deeper feelings than just being surprised to see him. Right. Because the way he acts it is he's very concerned and then that kind of turns into surprise that he's even there. Yeah. But there's like an immediate reaction because he doesn't want him there. Yeah. Oh, totally. Which is weird for us because we know their history and their closeness and whatever. Yeah. Um, But yeah, like I, I thought that too. I was like, maybe he's just being kind of cagey. Like we don't know that he knows that Angela's been hit. Right. Or if he knows that Angelo's been We don't know. I mean, that's never stated. Yeah. I mean, we can definitely we, surmise that. But. It, you know, like, on on the, like, re-skimming of it, I think he probably did. I don't know. Who I'm sure he did. Who would have told him. But, like, the fact that, you know, he says to his twins, like, I'm going to bring you back to your mom's place early. Yeah. And we find out later that he's been gone since then. Yeah. Right? So he, like, Tony left. He left with the boys yeah. and went to kind of carry this thing out. Um, but... If you've never watched this episode before, I think it's really, it's even more interesting in some ways, too, because then you have that scene where he's driving, he's just, like, driving and not picking up Tony's phone call, Mm -hmm. right? So you're like, where is he going? What's he doing? Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, your immediate instinct, I think, I don't know. I don't know if you assume that he knew or not. Well, we don't know that much about Tony Blundetto, and that's the thing that it's hard to kind of focus on sometimes because as you watch this show and then take time away from it, sometimes I feel for myself that I have a more fully formed impression of characters than I actually do. Yeah. The show doesn't always feed us that much. So Tony Blundetto, they're just so masterful in creating an arc for characters without that much information that sometimes you can kind of fill in the blanks more than you actually have. But he's not really a fully fleshed out character. Like we don't know that much about him. Mm -hmm. We saw this transformation that brought him back into the family. 
But it's interesting, when Tony does get that call from Syl, he gets the call, he puts it down, he calls Tony Blundetto. Yes. So Tony obviously knows enough about Tony Blundetto's character yeah. that he knows that this could be an issue and he might be doing something stupid. Yeah. I guess could also just be in danger, but I think he's worried about the impact of what he would do. He's also worried about how it would impact him. Yes. So well, he, sa he says we're all fucked or something. Well, at, at the, the end, end. I mean, yeah. that, I mean, they are all fucked. It yeah. seems because of what Tony Blundetto does. Then does, yeah. But it is interesting because this episode, in a very surreal way, does kind of offer more perspective into who Tony Blundetto is. Mm-hmm. But I get, yeah. So I guess like then, but you know, like Tony's obviously like at, you know, in those moments. I don't think prior to his dream sequence, I don't think that he's thinking I need to kill. Tony Blundetto. I don't think that's his, like, when he's calling Polly and yeah. when he's calling no. the house, like, I think he is a little bit, like, more concerned. And I think, like, wanting to stop anything stupid from happening. Mm -hmm. But I don't think it's, like, the only way I'm going to stop this guy is to kill him. Mm -hmm. But the major then plot, I mean, quote, unquote, plot development in the dream is that he realizes that this is what he's going to need to do. And yet, in the dream, the climax of the dream is him being told by everybody that he needs to carry out this job to kill his friend. And yet, in the end, he goes with the silencer to Coach Molinaro. Mm -hmm. So, at least within the s sequences of the dream, it seems that things are leading him to kill somebody other than Tony Blundetto. Right. We can kind of put it together in the end what it actually means. Right. But it's interesting where it leads Tony in the moment. At this point, it just kind of seems like it's bringing up other questions and yeah. other issues that Tony has in a very deep level of his subconscious, yeah. that kind of underground, that foundation well, and dreams of are who like, he is. And dreams are like that, right? Yeah. Because it does tie into, like, his his choices as a boss and his, like, um, his being a leader, right, does stem back to these moments when he was in high school where, you know, he was told that he was something special and this leader. Um, but is he, like, you know, he even now refers to himself as kind of like a coach, right? Um, but these decisions that, like, is he capable of being a good leader and what does that mean for Tony? Or is he just using people and kind of, like, keeping people wrapped around his fingers? I don't know. Maybe both. Yeah. Maybe that is his style of leadership. I mean, part of this, of Tony having to come to an understanding and an answer and a solution is that he needs to make a leadership call. Mm -hmm. Like as a leader, he needs to make a call on how he's going to respond to mm -hmm. what's going mm -hmm. to happen or what has happened, depending on how you view the timeline to Phil Leotardo. Yep. And so he and so then we, needs yeah. to make a decision. Yeah. yeah. So then in back in real time after the dream, right, where he like this is kind of indicated to us, at least as viewers in the dream and to Tony, I think, in his subconscious. Um, we have him waking up. We're not sure if he's really woken up, right? Because he's woken up in mm -hmm. this dream before. Um, he goes, he looks in the mirror. There's a weird 5.15 a.m. phone call that comes mm -hmm. from someone whose name we don't know. Of course, it's Christopher using a fake name also. Which is, that's actually kind of the same time that's on in the background of when he's with Carmela about to go to the dinner with Finn, isn't it? Isn't that like 5.10ish, 5.15? In the evening, <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we find out that Tony Blundetto killed Billy Leotardo, which is so, I think that's like one of the, like, again, like showing how much Tony really is impacted by his dreams. Mm -hmm. He's like, wait, you mean Phil? Right. Right? Because that was right. something that happened yeah. in, his, in his dream, yeah. right? And maybe like I could think about it in a way like maybe that would be like... Billy, like, Phil is higher up than Billy. Yeah. Right? And so, like, who was responsible? Who was really, like, instigating the yeah. hit on Angelo? I don't know. I would think probably Phil was more in charge right. of that than Billy. But I don't, again, right. I don't know how these guys are brothers even. So <laughs> it's all, that's all a mystery a to issues. me. Um, you know, or I guess, like, maybe he intended to kill them both. Mm -hmm. I mean, we know that Phil got winged, hmm. which I guess means, like, hit with yeah. some bullets but not killed right. I, I don't know <laughs> um, I've never been winged <laughs> yeah um, and yeah so we find out that that's something that's really happened within this time that Tony's been asleep mm -hmm. we don't see it this episode mm -hmm. uh, and then we have Tony saying we're all fucked and then we have this 
Um, his response then, kind of like after Christopher leaves, is he turns off all the lights again, yeah. right? He doesn't jump into action at all, right? right? Like, he, he, the lights were all on when Christopher was there. He turns off the lights. He goes, he looks out the window at, you know, this over, over Central Park. The darkness. And the dark, and he calls Carmela and refers to, like, the lights are being all turned on. Is it light where you are? Yeah, there's a lot of focus on light there. He's, yeah, like, he's kind of waiting, like, what's going to happen kind of, like, when dawn comes for Tony right now? But he does have this kind of, like, period, and, like, it is kind of, like, between dream and waking, right? Like, those kind of, um, you know, like, between 3 a.m. and 5 a.m. kind of hours even like in literature and stuff like that are considered to be this like in between state, like being in between dream and sleep, but also like being in between realms kind of like that. This is like a spirit time kind Mm. of thing. Um, And so he's kind of like left himself in this space and he makes this call to Carmela and they talk about the light Um, and they they talk about this dream. And we see in the end, Carmela, like a sliver of light does actually show up next Mm -hmm. to her. I mean, I think that Tony is in, engulfed kind of in the darkness he he kind of pulls that interesting like white drape mm-hmm. to to see the darkness and then is kind of obsessed with the light asking Carmela about it but there is it's interesting because I think that the other major development in this episode is pushing Tony and Carmela closer together mm-hmm. I mean even in Tony's subconscious we have the scene where he's saying that he's interested in coming back mm-hmm. Carmela says that there are these non-negotiable terms which is funny because that's what she said to AJ mm-hmm. about coming back to live with her so that's another example of something being nestled in Tony's subconscious but the, the he thing, wants to move in with his horse though he wants to move in with Pai yeah. or whatever horse <laughs> yeah. but it's interesting because yeah again the subconscious realm does kind of propel the story forward in one of its most important ways. Yeah. That they're getting closer together to getting back together, which has been a major arc of this season. Yeah. Um, Yeah, and we'll see where that... Yeah, definitely, they have this, like, very intimate, kind of half-awake, half-asleep conversation, which is, like, kind of where your truest self is, right? When you're kind of, like, between sleep and being awake. Um, it's child. It's childlike. It's I don't know. It's innocent in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think also the kind of two poles of white and black that we've talked about a lot on this episode. The simplicity of like good and evil that kind of make up the way Tony thinks about a lot of things. Like he can see things in those two kind of dualistic mm-hmm. terms. And I think that he's looking for like what he sees as a return to the kind of like lightness of of Mm -hmm. life with Carmela and going Mm -hmm. back to home. He's obviously a little bit disheveled and in a place that isn't really holding together right now. Yeah. Well, I like that he says, is it light where you are? Because, like, um, New Jersey and New York aren't in, like, different time zones or anything like that. Um, It's pretty close. (laughs) Yeah, like, it's... We could get an Uber there right now. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So I think it is kind kind of like you said, like, he sees that as this kind of light as this like where Carmela is might be lighter than where he is because where he is is still really dark right and lights are coming on he can see lights mm-hmm. but he's in this dark space mm-hmm. the other thing that shows us again like I said like the seriousness of Tony's dreams for him is that he's really concerned about Artie yeah when, when he wakes up and he asks like that's the one like one of the things he, he's like you know cancel the fishing trip I had one of my coach Molinero dreams, and they talk about that. Um, they talk about how he took interest in him. But then he says, is Artie all right? Yeah. He was in a car full of dead guys. Yeah. And we'll talk about the dream. Well, Artie's but... role in the dreams is fascinating, too, because he's kind of a guide. He's constantly mm-hmm. telling Tony where to go. Mm-hmm. When he's at Vesuvio's, he's pointing through mm-hmm. the, the hole in the door. When he's uh, being when chased mo- by the when mob. When he's being chased by the mob, he tells him to turn down the the alley mm-hmm. which is interesting actually because I guess he's running towards a car mm-hmm. and then already kind of directs mm-hmm. him in another direction but it's interesting because Molinaro also references already saying that he was the worst of all of yeah. them so there's clearly something in Tony's subconscious that exists about his relationship to Artie and who Artie is coming from those formative high school years yeah and that he's kept him in his life but Artie has also guided him like maybe in some ways 
there's an aspect of blame or something that he's now able to cast on Artie for guiding him where he is. Mm. Coach Molinaro talking about him as the worst in a similar way to this cheap, easy way out of blaming things on his mother or mm. his father, mm. as, as Coach Molinaro mm. says. I think that Tony is constantly looking for reasons why he is the way he is and not taking responsibility. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that he's kind of just floating around in the stream and Artie's the one who tells him where to go. Yeah. There's something to I that. know. And that Artie is, like, in car in the cars with him, driving him. Um, like, he is the only alive guy that we see in a lot of, in most of that dream. Mm-hmm. Like, real, like, I guess, like, Phil Leotardo is there, who's also alive. But that's about, like, like yeah. and he's being shot. Mm-hmm. Um, like, we don't have a lot of people from the real world actually in this dream. We have mostly people from who are yeah, dead. Carmela, I guess, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, totally. Um, yeah, so do you want to, like, talk about some of the dream sure. stuff? Sure, let's do it. Do you want to go, like, through it in a... Let's go through it in, like, a straight-up order? <laughs> straight-up order. It's straight really hard. It's so difficult. Um, okay, so our first our first little dream scene is him, like, we hear this, what we imagine to be this Jade escort service um, woman who was there before Tony was in bed, um, asking him if he wants a blowjob. <laughs> um, and then we, um, and it, but it, we're kind of confused, right? Like it's kind of daylight out at this point, right? It, it like Tony's waking up and it turns out that in bed beside him is Carmine, mm-hmm. who's dead. Right. Who also focuses on how much he misses Violet. Right. I like that Tony's violin. like violin. Yeah. <laughs> but his wife. So, I mean, there's yeah. something there too about Tony missing Carmela. Yeah. Or at least getting that advice from somebody else, maybe even from Carmine. Like other people are pushing him in this yeah. direction for how we should feel. Yeah. We also have this link like really strongly to um, some kind of, you know, what happens after we die kind of stuff. We have Carmine saying like, it's lonely on the other side. Um if you if it's him tell him you ain't seen me right and he points he's like the man upstairs or whatever he says right so like you know clearly this is something and i've talked and i've definitely like found this in this viewing like these like the way that characters deal with the afterlife is really something that stood out to me on this viewing and so we can see like tony definitely has this as part of his subconscious quite Mm -hmm. heavily right this like concept of afterlife and where people are yeah um it's interesting too how carmine plays into his dream because we see earlier in the episode uh tony saying to tony blundetto yeah, carmine smelled, smelled burning hair. hair yeah and then he shows up so again there's so many links from what mm-hmm. tony experiences in reality that we get to see to what unfolds in his subconscious mm-hmm. and then i really like it's so dreamlike that they look over at the phone before the phone starts to ring, right? Like Carmine right. kind of peers at the phone and Tony looks at the phone and then it rings. And then there's someone on the phone. I don't know who's on the phone. I don't know who's on the phone either. It doesn't sound I, like I was thinking like, could it be God. Artie? It's maybe it is. Uh, well, yeah, Tony's like, no, like I love how he like shakes his head. He's like, no, it's not him. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, but I don't know who it is. I like I, when we watched it back this morning, I was listening like, is that Artie's voice? It's not. Um, I couldn't figure that one out. Yeah, not sure. Please um, email us if you know we're interested. Yeah, but, you know, someone's on the phone. They say, like, our friend, he's got to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's about all the information we get from that phone call. Yeah, and I guess in some ways that kind of propels the whole dream sequence. I mean, that friend who has to go is the thing that kind of keeps on playing back. That's kind of the connective tissue of... The dreams. Yeah, the, the other so the other connective tissue of the dream is being prepared and right. Tony saying that he's done his homework. Yeah, which gives us kind of hints as we go towards the end of the dream, yeah. where it is about kind of like being in high school and you know and this being prepared. Yeah, kind of like what we think about like the dream. It's like a very common you know in psychoanalysis, like it's a very common dream to have this dream that you have a test that you haven't studied for, mm-hmm. right? It's but a stress. It's, a, it's yeah. a stress dream. But it's interesting what Tony's test is now. Yes. Like what his you know yeah. a lot of the time it's I mean, not a school test. Yeah. <laughs> that's not the kind of test that I get stressed out about in my dreams, murdering somebody. Yeah. <laughs> 
Yeah, murdering your cousin who you're very close with. Um, and so then we have this dream, and we're used to him having dreams like this that are, um, you know, like that length, right? So this dream seems to end, and we see him sitting in Melfi's office, yeah. right? And there's nothing right away that indicates to us that he's not in Melfi's office, right? He's actually talking about this dream mm-hmm. that he had where Carmen was there. Um, but we don't see Melfi, and we usually, like, it, it goes on a little longer than usual that, like, we don't see Melfi. Usually yeah. we have the camera ki- kind of going back and forth between Tony and Melfi right. or showing us both of them, and really we just see Tony, and we see, like, a slight outline of what we yeah. think might be Melfi. Um, but it's not. It's Gloria. Um, who's dead? Who's dead? And but her voice is interchanged with with Melfi's. I know in such a cool way. I really yeah. like it. It's particularly when she's um, talking about the fork in the eye, right? Yeah, From that's and that's your mother, right? Yeah. And he spits water all over the place. <laughs> they have such good jokes amongst each other. So funny. Yeah, like, there's that whole like and, yeah, like fifties sitcom like yeah. the honeymooners. Um, yeah. Um, but it's really, I mean, that scene is, like, really intense, right? Because she's like, yeah, I remember when you punched me or, like, yeah. and then you choked me. Like, yeah. it's really, and then especially her line where he's, like, where they're they're using this very Melfi line that's been yeah. said a number of times before where it's, like, therapy is, I think, I like to think of it as being, like, childbirth. And right. Tony's, like... I think about it like taking a shit. This is the first time though where he actually says maybe it is like maybe it is like childbirth, and he's like, "You tell me." Yeah. And then she has that line where she's like, "I don't have any children. I died too young." It's really like yeah, quite gives me a little bit of goosebumps. Um, and we have that scene ending, and so we have you know, um, Melfi's voice being overlaid, but she. She ends that segment with saying, are you ready for what you have to do? Mm-hmm. And Tony saying, I've done my homework. Mm-hmm. Like, he's like, I am ready. I've done my homework. Mm-hmm. Um, and so she's also kind of pointing Tony, like reminding him of what it is he needs to do. So there's like, and she appears again later in the dream, right? As this kind of like reporter character. Mm-hmm. Um, so she's obviously someone who is quite important in Tony's subconscious, right? Yeah. Um, and so in some way, I don't know, like, you know, for good or for bad or for what reason, but that she is also kind of propelling Tony down this path to figure out who he is and mm-hmm. what he needs to do. And Yeah, she's acting as a therapist substitute. Yeah, somebody who would be guiding him and answering, mm-hmm. you know, his questions. And I think, like, himself. we, and we talked about this, like, when, like, when we found out in the series that Gloria died, right? We find out we don't see her death. We, f- we find out when Tony finds out. But we do see him grappling with that at that time as well, right? So we know that she was really important to him mm-hmm. um, and kind of pivotal in him going kind of on this, I think, kind of downwards trajectory. Yeah. No, totally. Where do we go there next? After that, we're in the car. Okay. So we've seen the car. Right from the TV. Yes, so th- so on TV in Melfi's office, there's all these like small TVs around, which I don't think they're usually there. These very right. small TVs. But I don't think people use small TVs anymore. I know, my family never had a small TV like that. No. Yeah. Um. Sorry, our cat is trying to come into the room. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it happens. Um, so we see, <laughs> we see on. <laughs> Away. We see on the TV that there's this scene in the car, right? We see the back of Johnny Soprano's mm-hmm. head and we see his eyes in the rearview mirror. And then we're transported into the car um, from that through that television screen. Um, and we've seen this car before, right? We've yeah. seen it in Calling All Cars. I think so. And we've seen it. Hmm. Have we seen it multiple times? I, I do think I, think. I think there is one in Funhouse. Wow. Okay. I think you might be right. Yeah. And I and I talked about it when we saw it last time, which I think was in Calling All Cars. Yeah. But okay. I'm pretty sure it was also in Funhouse. Um, and this is a familiar thing we've seen. So we see Johnny Soprano, who's clearly dead, right? Yeah. Um, we see this kind of childlike aspect, right? Like we see like how it must have been for Tony as a kid, right? He's like, do you want to ride up front, mm. champ or something? I don't think right. he calls him champ, but... 
Tony is being driven around though. He's being chauffeured by yeah, these people. Yeah, but I like how he's asked, people. like, and I and he kind of like smiles and he like kind of enjoys seeing his dad. Yeah. There in this car that yeah. he would have you know ridden in as a child. Um, he also asks if it's okay to smoke, right? Which we know from the ep- the in Camelot yeah. episode that. You know, he had emphysema, yeah. and Tony was really mad at Fran yeah. for, like, allowing him to still smoke in the car. Yeah. But then we then we get other passengers that come into the car. So we have Pussy in the front seat as well. Yeah. Uh, we have Mikey Palmese sitting beside him in the car, who then, then it's Artie late, a few minutes, a few seconds later. Mm-hmm. Artie is in the seat of Mikey Palmese. Um, and then we have Ralphie in the front seat, and Tony's like, where are we going, you know? And Ralphie says to the job, which is also from that last car, um, car dream sequence mm-hmm. where they're taking him to that old house. Yeah. Um, and the job, it seems like at least they pull up into the driveway of the Soprano home. So it's interesting because I feel like that's an example of Tony distracting himself from what he needs to do. And that happens a lot in this episode. Mm. So, I mean, there's really countless examples. He gets the original call saying that Angelo Garepe is dead he switches his attention to the Jade Escort. Mm-hmm. In Melfi's office, he kind of goes to kiss Gloria, which would change the direction mm-hmm. of the dream. And then Gloria actually stops him. Mm-hmm. She kind of silences him and then points and then directs him to the car. Right. He's in the car. They're bringing him to the job. He goes inside his house and then he's going to meet Finn. Although the car does pull up to the house. The car... Well, yeah, the car does pull up to the house, I guess. And I guess he's being driven, but I mean, yeah. he's also... In some ways, his subconscious is directing. Yes. No, the I, I know what you mean. I, I just, think that yeah. he's not taking responsibility, which is a theme that we've seen throughout the entire show. Mm-hmm. He's not doing what he has to do. Mm-hmm. He's constantly distracting himself with things that are unrelated. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, um, I think that's. I think that's an interesting. I'm glad we see the car coming back because I think that is um, a big symbol like this. Like, what is driving Tony? Or who it, or like who is responsible right. for the direction that Tony's life That's has a taken? Great and we and we ask those questions a lot. Like being in therapy, he's asking that like who's responsible for the right. direction. He doesn't like to put blame on himself, right? So it is right. Always well, and this. it's interesting because we are witnessing all these other people directing Tony, but we also know that this is coming from his subconscious, from his dreams, mm-hmm. and that is him. So it's kind of mm-hmm. a story that he is creating mm-hmm. and piecing together. So at the end of the day, it's maybe up to us to figure out the answer to who is responsible for Tony being the way he is. Yeah. But we have to acknowledge that he's kind of the narrator of the story that right. we are witnessing. Yes. And at the end of the day, it's kind of him who's putting it all together. Right. And we know that he doesn't like to take any blame, right? And no. so it's even happening. Like, he can create that for himself in his dreams as well. Yeah. Um, so then we have Tony in the house with Carmela. They're going to go meet Finn's parents. Yep. Um, but Tony's not dressed. Tony's unprepared, right? He's like, he's actually not ready for this thing that they're about to do. Yeah. Um, he says to Carmela, he's like, I had the weirdest dream. And we kind of see him trying to figure out in some ways, like in his dream, whether or not he's still in his dream. Yeah. (laughs) Right. He's like, he's like, I'm just like, just give me a second. And he's like trying to figure that out. Um, we have a lot of then movies on TV. We have, and I'm not good at that kind well, of quoting of movies, but I, think, I do know that one of them is the Christmas Carol. Right. We'll talk about that just, in a sec. Yeah. yeah. But one of them is this cowboy movie. And there's he, all these Westerns that have been referenced throughout the show. Yeah. Again, there's connective tissue just from Gary Cooper mm-hmm. and him watching these different movies throughout mm-hmm. the, throughout the entire series. Um, and yeah. And he says it's so much more interesting than life. And then Carmela says, what are you kidding me? It is your life. So for me, that's fascinating because Tony's seeing all these strong, silent types, these kind of cowboy characters, Mm -hmm. finding it so much more interesting. And Carmela's kind of calling him out that that actually is who he is. So, Mm -hmm. you know, he's saying, what about the Gary Cooper as well? That is kind of who he is. Things haven't really changed from that first episode where that is his idealized version of what a person should be. Um, and he is drawn to all these distractions and what ifs, but at the end of the day, I think his life is exactly what he's looking for. And I mean, the irony is that we're watching it as entertainment, right? Yeah, of course. So, yeah. <laughs> he's unhappy, so but yeah. we are watching it. He's watching other things, yeah. looking for entertainment, but his life is obviously a source of that. Yeah, absolutely. The, and then we yeah. see the Christmas Carol, right? Which I think, you know, so we see this, it's this scene in which Scrooge wakes up. 
Um, he's just had this dream where the three yeah. ghosts come to visit him. And he changes. And and he's, yeah, he's someone who then his life takes a completely different track. Yeah. Obsessed, I mean, we don't see, like, Christmas Carol Part 2, like, what really happens. Going, <laughs> Christmas Carol Part 2, yeah. Ebenezer's demise. Yeah. yeah, I mean, who knows? Like, but it is, that is a book and the movie that assumes that people can change based on these kind of psychic experiences that right. they have or these psychological, um, yeah, subconscious experiences. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are changeable. I don't, I don't know. The, in yeah. this show, we definitely have a different tack. I'm not sure. Definitely. If, I'm not sure if we think that, you know, Tony's going to wake up for this dream and be a totally changed dude. <laughs> Tony Soprano is a guy with everything going for him until one day he has a dream and becomes a nice guy. That would be a really boring show. <laughs> that that would not be um, much better than real life, <laughs> uh, which Sopranos kind of is. Um, and then so we, so we see the Christmas Carol. Then we see – then they see themselves on TV. And we see Carmela and Tony. And we see them kind of in, like, a slightly different relationship. We see Tony, like, helping her put on her jacket. And she's adjusting his suit. Like, it's obviously more intimate than they have been. Yeah. Um, and it's more intimate than they are in the scene that they're currently in, right? Yeah. Like, he says, like, my stuff isn't here. Like, so we know mm. that in that dream, like, they are still not living together. Right. But in this TV version of it, <laughs> they do seem to be. Interesting. Right? Yeah. Which is, again, one of these hints towards, like, them getting back together. Yeah. I think. We also have them wearing all black. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... Well, Tony's suit is brown, apparently. Oh. She says your brown suit is still here. Oh, interesting. But it is black, isn't it? He seems anyway. I, I thought so I took probably it a black. dark brown suit. Yeah. Um. And they're getting ready, and as they're about to head out the door, Tony loses a tooth. Yeah. And we've had a lot of references to mouths and dentistry teeth and dentistry, cancers of the gums. Yeah, dental students. Going back to Isabella in the yeah. first season is a is a really important episode for for kind of establishing again his subconscious. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Exactly. And this is obviously something that he thinks a lot about. I mean, I think, like, I mean, this is just me, but, like, I've heard that when you lose all your teeth in, in a dream, that it's actually a fear of growing old mm. or growing up. Oh, interesting. And so, like, actually kids often have, like, like early, like, preteens yeah. apparently often have that dream of, like, lo- like, waking up and all your teeth are gone. And it is this, like, fear of, of growing up. And that was kind of, again, like, I referenced that child like Tony being kind of childish and yeah. being like Eloise at the Park Plaza. Um, there's something about that. Like adults don't lose their teeth, yeah. right? Like you lose your teeth when you're becoming an adult. Right. Kind of. Interesting. I don't know. Very interesting. But there's lots with, there's lots with dentistry and, and teeth, right? Mm-hmm. And so like there's this aspect of like rotting. Mm. Um, there's this aspect of um, well, there, there like, was a, yeah. Um, yeah, like, like, spewing lies like just yeah. this kind of like cancerous like the things that come out of his mouth are yeah dishonest and um hateful he was also drawn to isabella as a student of dentistry somebody who was in this kind of health related caring profession and we have finn who's also drawn to dentist who's mm-hmm. essentially going to be going into dental school which is something that Tony and Carmela seem to be very impressed by and mm-hmm. like. And I think that it's very far away from the realm that that they exist in. Because And there's something about, like, Tony with the symbolism of his teeth. There's something that is is rotting and decaying and is, is not good that he feels is kind of, like, falling apart. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, it is interesting because also when they go to the – the dinner Mm -hmm. Finn I think represents somebody and we've talked about this as somebody who's so far removed from the world that they live in even like the the color scheme of his parents like they're wearing Annette Benning is like well, pure white his, like his parents are Vin McCasey and, and Annette, Annette Benning. Benning wow what a pair yeah <laughs> but Vin McCasey even puts on this like white napkin there's definitely like a visual contrast between them and Tony and Carmela mm-hmm. so they kind of represent these two poles almost mm-hmm. that exist and it's it's just interesting because yeah I think that the the dentistry is is relevant it it represents something that Tony maybe feels like he needs but is far away from the world that he lives in yeah and he loses another tooth during the dinner mm-hmm. um, 
which is really gross. Can you imagine? Like, it's very visceral. Like, I just, like, whenever that I see that happen, I, like, imagine that happen, like, that feeling. Can you imagine, like, a tooth just falling out in your mouth? It's very disturbing. Hmm. Yeah. And, like, no. the root. And the, the root. I don't know. There's something very, like, physical about it for me. Yeah. Um, so we have the return of one of my favorite characters, maybe my favorite character. Vin McKazian. He's great. As Finn's dad. But we know that Tony also knows that that's Vin McKazian. He doesn't say it kind of like he does with Annette Benning. Right. right? He, like, says to Annette Benning, like, you're Annette Benning. Yeah. And he seems, like, really content that he's, like, figured this out. Like, right. he's, like, really happy. He's yeah. like, ah, it's Annette Benning. Like, <laughs> he's kind of sitting there, like, kind of smiling to himself. Um, but we don't see him do that with Vin McKazian until they go to the bathroom together. And they're peeing. And he says to... Vin McKazian, you don't do this no more, right? Right. So what is it that he doesn't do? Live? He. Oh, right. Well, like, you know what I mean? Like, do yeah. anything in the yeah. real world, right? right. Um, but we know that he does kind of, in some way, know that that's Vin McKazian. But then he goes back to saying, like, that's a great boy you've got out there, right? Yeah. Like, so he kind of, like... And another example of somebody kind of taking him out of the scene that he's in and saying, you have to do this thing. Are you going to do this thing? Yeah. Everywhere, but, all over the place. It yeah. keeps on happening. Yeah. Um, they, again, every... there's a reference again to homework there, right? Yeah. Of course, we have him doing this very Godfather kind of um, Taking, thing of, trying to of get the gun checking behind, behind the, the toilet. toilet. Yeah, looking at the Veloci papers. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and um, where I'm just looking at my looking at my notes right now. There's a lot to talk about in this episode. Oh my god. <laughs> um, Oh, yeah, Vin says to him, are you going to be able to come through on this? Yeah. Right? And so, again, kind of redirecting him. And Tony's looking to for some like, to escape. He sees Artie pointing towards there. He's looking to get out of this dinner. Yeah. Also. Um, I like, oh, the other part, sorry, just to go back for a second. I like when Carmela, the, like, the acting in this episode is also so great. It must have been actually really fun, I think, yeah. to, to film. Because Carmela's like, show them what's in your pocket, Tony. Yeah. And then he takes out the tooth. Like, it's so creepy. Um, and they talk. She looks so crazy, too, when she has, like, her hand. When she's watching Vin McKazian yeah. singing. Yeah, I oh know. Oh, my God. And, and, like, Meadow, too. Like, Meadow's, like, laughing, like, like smiling and yeah. laughing. It's so weird. Um, and we get a whole rendition of Three Times a Lady yeah. by Vin McKazian. It's beautiful. Um, and, but I also, so he, so Tony in that scene, we'll go forward again. Tony, before they go to the bathroom, says to Annette Benning, something bad is going to happen. Yeah. Right? So we know that he's like, he's again, like he's like aware of this trajectory yeah. he's on in some ways too. But yeah, they're in the bathroom. You don't do this no more. Um, and then we, we kind of transition, like, I think actually with, Gunfire, like I think we hear gunfire coming from outside when they're still in the bathroom, or coming from somewhere, and we're transitioned immediately to the street yeah. where Tony's then walking through this crowd and hearing gunfire, mm -hmm. and then seeing Tony Blundetto shooting the gun. Yeah. Um. And. Um. Yeah, like we we have the this like mob surrounding them. We have this wind in the trees that's really rustling the trees and we've had that before many so many times we've had that. i think back to all the way back to college yeah it's the first example i can think of but it happens all over the place the wind and trees is definitely a pretty major mm -hmm. symbol of the show we have these these black men who are standing there saying like wasn't that the guy you were supposed to kill yeah. to stop all this from happening? Right. And this is kind of where the dream does take a turn because I think like everything is indicating to us that like this is what he needs, he quote unquote needs to do. But he's like, he's like, I guess not. I don't have a piece. Yeah. Right. It, like it wasn't behind the toilet. So it, right. like, so it must not be that this is the thing that I had to do or right. else all of those things would have somehow worked out. Like he right. would have found this piece behind the toilet. And, right and gone to kill him. So I think that part's really interesting. Like he in his dream is like, I guess that's not like, I thought that's what I needed to do, but I guess it's not. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what really kind of, at least for me, it's kind of like, it shows him that he actually has to go deeper. He actually has to go further mm. back to yeah. figure out what it is that he needs to do. Yeah. And that's when he starts to like be chased by this mob of people wearing lederhosen right. and, like, what is the problem that's confronting Tony Soprano? Like, yeah. that, if that's what he's trying to uncover in this dream, well, it's interesting because there's a deeper problem than the immediate one with Tony yeah. Blundetto. And Tony Blundetto says, like, why don't you tell them about 17 years ago? Yeah. Right? Um, 
And I think he even has to go further back than that, right? Mm-hmm. To kind of understand. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, so yeah, then the guys in Lederhosen are chasing him. That was the other thing too, and I was going back to the very beginning when I was talking about like Tony's relationship to people of different race. Mm. For that was the moment where I mean it felt like overwhelmingly Caucasian people who were kind of witnessing, but then in the periphery, in the alleyways behind him, and kind of off to the sides where people were kind of scattered, there were more people of color, and I think that that's kind of Tony's relationship to people of different races, like they are in the periphery. Mm. And that when he, when his subconscious creates a scene of people witnessing and judging mm. him, it is people all of this homogenous race. Mm. And then when he goes running off, he's kind of running off into this unknown area or something or like into danger because he has mm. these weird preconceptions about... There's this car playing rap music. Yeah. Rap music. <laughs> the rap music. It's playing some rapping music. But for Tony, I think that is how distant it is. It is like the rap music for him. Like he doesn't know anything about this. And he's prejudiced against mm-hmm. different groups because he doesn't interact with them. They just, they exist in the periphery mm-hmm. and he doesn't really confront them. Mm-hmm. He gets pulled down an alleyway with Artie. Yeah. So Artie, like he's going to go to this rap, rap music, music car. car. Um, but instead, Artie kind of changes where he's going, and they're back. They're now they're in another car. They're not in the same old yeah. old car, Johnny Soprano's car. Um, but they're in there with Richie April and Gigi Sistone, who are also dead. Yeah. And um, Artie brings him, I guess, <laughs> to have sex with Charmaine. Another great example of a distraction. Yeah, um, and Artie seems kind of into it. Um, he seems like a coach. He does seem He's like, like a telling coach. him what to do and he saying, like, yeah. Pet her, pet her muzzle. muzzle. And then we cut to Carmela in the. Well, and we cut right mine. to Pi and him rubbing Piomai in the living room. There's actually a close up on the eye of Piomai, mm-hmm. like we've seen before. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we had like, so like, again, so we've kind of gone from like, so again, that. I don't know, like sequence of him feeling like, oh, I guess it's not about me killing Tony Blundetto. Um, going with Artie and having sex with Charmaine and then ending up at his home with Piomai. And so it's kind of like, again, we're kind of, I think, like getting deeper yeah. into it, right? Like that we know Piomai symbolized a lot to Tony. Um, I, I mean, about a lot of things. I don't know if we have time to even unpack that again. But we've we've talked about it in previous yeah. episodes. But then again, we have him at home saying, "Look, I think I want to come home." Yeah. And we talked about that scene earlier. Um, and then and then we have this last scene. So like after Tony, which I think also would have been a really hilarious scene for them to film, where Tony is on a horse in this living room set <laughs> and has to like back out of it on this horse and turn around. I think he like almost bumps his head on the um, ceiling. Um, he, we have him then transition to this school hallway. And this is really, this is the last scene mm. of the dream is him in this school. And I think kind of the climax of the dream sequence mm-hmm. and the episode, for mm-hmm. me at least, I think it's a very, very significant moment yeah. for the show. I, I, it's one that like, well, you even were like, wait, this is in this episode? Like this yeah. is in this dream? Um, yeah. I remember the last viewing, not this viewing of Sopranos. This really stood out for me as one of the key moments of the entire series. Yeah, I think I think it is. I really think it it gives us a huge insight into Tony mm-hmm. that we've not had before. We've had hints to it before, but yeah. this gives us this shows us a lot about what Tony understands about himself mm-hmm. and or what explanations he gives about himself. So I think like. For example, like kind of being criticized for blaming things on his mother and, or his father. Um, and like that it's a shame that he's in therapy. He talks about like having the psychiatrist wrapped around his finger. Um, and he says to the coach, like, you always told me that's what I'm good at. Right. Yeah. He says, like, I was just like when was he was, I was just sh- or shutting you on. I don't know. I thought it was shining you on. That's shining what I do you on. To people. That's what I do to people. Right. So he understands like he understands that about himself that he's manipulative mm-hmm. and that he does these things to kind of like get people to do things for yeah. him um but then we also have that line of you'll never shut me up well that's where it's left that's yeah. the end of the whole dream and i think that tony is going there to try and eliminate coach melinaro in this kind of like nagging yeah. voice that exists in his 
constant life. Yeah. And he can't. And Coach Molinaro is more powerful and says, you'll never shut me up. There's a fascinating thing where Coach Molinaro with a cigar, mm-hmm. we've talked about the cigar as a, as a symbol of being in control, mm-hmm. which is so fascinating for me because Tony appropriates that from his self, mm-hmm. subconscious, often smokes a cigar when he feels in control. Mm-hmm. In that scene, Coach Molinaro is the one who's fully in control. Mm-hmm. Even shortly after, when it goes to reality and Tony's with Chris, Chris asks about, can he have the Toblerone? We see an ashtray with cigarettes and a cigar, both put out. Mm -hmm. So there's this duality of Tony's both in control and out of control at that moment. So in some ways, he is controlled, perhaps, in getting back with Carmela, among some other things. He is able to kind of manipulate situations to get what he wants. But he's also clearly out of control as this situation kind of careens towards catastrophe. Mm Mm-hmm with Tony Blundetto and New York. But it's just so fascinating that Coach Molinaro is such an important figure for him. Mm-hmm. And maybe the most important- Well, we important... know this ties back into Tony almost being a varsity athlete, right? Yeah. Um, and Which that... is something we hear in the pilot episode. Yeah. Him and in a voiceover that... saying how significant it was for when Junior made fun of him and how he was a varsity athlete and how it didn't, you yeah. know, how he didn't fulfill those yeah. dreams. And then that comes up at many times at other times in the show. It's something that he cannot deal with mm-hmm. because clearly this is one of the deepest things that he has to deal with. Well, and even like we're in this like dungeon. Right? I think it's like, like a foundation yeah. for everything. It's like yeah. the foundation of his subconscious. Yeah. He has to go to that's the deepest level. And that's where it ends. I don't think there is anything underneath that. Mm. And it's interesting as he's walking down through the school, he sees the sports trophies and there's a reflection of himself with a gun. Mm. So he sees the sports trophies and yet who is he? Mm-hmm. He's this assassin, mm-hmm. basically, or a gangster. Mm-hmm. He's not the person that he could have been, that could have evolved who was, out of a... Who was special, sport, right? A special, talented... Leader. Leader of sports. And even when he says... I am a leader. I am a coach. Well, Coach Molinaro is also saying... I knew you would take the easy way out. And mm-hmm. for him to be a coach, that's not what Coach Molinaro is talking about. Mm-hmm. That's a rationalization coming from Tony. Mm-hmm. For him to say, I'm a leader, I'm a coach, well, that's not what Coach Molinaro means at all. In fact, Tony has become the embodiment of everything that Coach Molinaro didn't, didn't want him yeah. to be. There is something kind of like devilish about Coach Molinaro too. Like there is something about him being in there kind of smoke, like in this deep dungeon, Mm -hmm. this like lit room within this dark dungeon space where he is smoking this cigar and there's kind of this like haze of smoke around him. Also that actor, I don't know that actor's name. Horse face from the wire. Horse face from the wire. Um, (laughs) It's amazing that his coach was also a union member in Baltimore. Yeah, Um, but there is something kind of like Again, like we have references to God of some sort in earlier in the episode, but there, we kind of end then with this man um, downstairs. Downstairs, yeah, yeah. And like, so we're referencing yeah. the man upstairs, and yet at the end, the person who seems to control Tony is the man downstairs. Yeah. So interestingly, it seems like Tony. Thanks for thanks for taking my thunder there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just such a good idea. I had yeah. to I had to go with it. Mm. Yeah. But it's fascinating. Yeah. It is. It really is because. I think one of the questions that's also shown as early as the first episode is where will Tony go? Yeah. Carmela as he goes into the MRI machine. Yeah. You know, being talking about him going to hell. Yeah. Something that that's that Tony references later. Well, where does he end up? Who is he controlled by? In fact, the dream sequence starts off with a reference to the man upstairs and it's a constant descent downwards. Yes. To the underground. Yes. To hell. That's Val's idea. I'm just I'm just explaining it for you. Thanks. <laughs> Thanks so much. Um, yeah, even though I don't think, like, I don't think that's, you know, I don't think Coach Molinero was a bad guy. I don't think, like, he was. Well, they even discussed that. Yeah. Carmelo yeah. and Tony. And Tony actually rationalizes immediately out of it. Yep. Saying, oh, he was just doing that to keep me out of trouble. It was easier to do yeah. it that way. Carmel's but Carmel has, I wonder where he is now. She also says, I don't know if that's true. Mm. Yeah. I wonder where he is now. Maybe he's in Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> on the ports um Frank Sabatka yeah so yeah and then the dream ends wow yes it does so it's interesting because then even when he's talking to Carmela we're back in reality he references one of his coach Molinaro dreams yes which also brings importance to that moment because a that's how he identifies the entire dream sequence b it's clearly happened a lot and see, it's something that he's brought up with his wife, and they've discussed. They know about it, yeah. So it, again, just reinforces how important this is to Tony as a person. Yeah, but also how deeply, like, Carmela does understand Tony pretty deeply, too. Mm-hmm. Right? I think that's part of that drawback towards home, is that she is someone, like, they've been together since they were in high school, 
right? Yeah. Like she's someone who's seen him go through this transition this transition to being whoever he is now. Yeah. And so she has some understanding of that too. Yeah. Uh, anything else that you have? This is long. Whew. There's a lot in this episode. I know. Um, not, I mean, just some straight. I mean, just some of the, the paintings, the pictures that we see earlier oh. on. I mean, we have like the William Wegler in the first scene. We have a lot of boats on water and a kind of winter landscape portrait at Tony Blundettos. Oh, yeah, I was going to say about the fishing trip. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. At the end, that, that he, he has like, to cancel. He's planned this fishing trip somehow, you know, but that he's canceling a fishing trip. And again, trip. yeah, like and like not being... going out onto water, and right? also being drawn away. Yeah, not going out onto water, being drawn away from being a good dad, somebody who would engage his mm. son and do something with him. Mm. He's now, again, kind of engaging in this criminal underworld. Yeah, instead. well, I think like water is kind of this symbol of like purity and the eternal and not always though not always. Sure. i know yeah. but like just like avoiding water i think is interesting right interesting yeah what else do you have oh man that's, uh, that's it that's, that's it i know those pictures yeah yeah i my notes are such a mess for this that i it's hard i don't to. think i can um yeah well that's what we think about test dream we think a lot about it and we'll probably continue to think about it. Of course, yeah. And if you have any things that you want to tell We're us about always interested. Test Stream, let us know. We would love know. to hear it. And yeah, we all next we have two more episodes of the season. Yeah. Long-term Some parking. Some good ones, yeah. <laughs> is uneventful next. ones. Yes, very uneventful episodes to end the season off. And then just as a heads up, I think we are going to be taking a little bit of a break short, a break, short break before we go into 6a we're actually moving and so yes we just need to get that done before we can set up our recording system in our new house <laughs> or apartment rather exactly. <laughs> yeah but we'll be back soon yeah. after that but yes. we'll finish off this season yeah and can't wait see you then is what i was gonna, gonna say that and then i yeah. stopped yeah. okay see you then <laughs>